0: If you'll take your Bibles, please, and open, we're going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians. For some of you, you've heard these verses before, but I want to draw out some teaching that's in this text. In chapter 1 of Corinthians, verse 18, I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are Perishing. To save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach what? Christ crucified. Okay, I'm going to repeat that again. For Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, a Foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. you are in Christ. And pardon me, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The Lord had his own blessing to the reading and to the hearing of this portion of his word to us tonight. You know, as as we, we come and look at this text Some of us struggle, and I'm gonna say it may not be you, but I've met many people that struggle with the idea that God's in charge. (laughs) And really when it comes to salvation, that's the big issue, isn't it? It's who's Lord, you or him? Who's the boss, him or you? Who's in charge, him or you? And so what's happened over time is people have developed a theology. Theology means the study of God have designed a theology that's man-centered, where we think the most important person in the picture is me. No, not you, me. Where we think that everything is about me, that the world revolves around me, that I'm on the throne, and everything, God, when he does something, he has to bless who? Me. Thanks, appreciate that. But we become and make ourselves the center of everything. Everything. Um, I don't want to burst a bubble, but I'm going to. (laughs) You're not the center of the universe. He is. He is. Everything revolves around him. Everything from eternity past to the end of all things. It's all about him. And not you. (laughs) And not me. See, we often think that when it comes to salvation that Jesus came, he he came for us and we were the focus of all that he was doing. Uh, No, he came in obedience to the Father. Jesus wants to please the Father um, above everything else. Without that, Jesus would have idols in his life. If he values you more than the opinion of his Father, you would be an idol in his life. See, this is, everything revolves around him. Salvation is of the Lord, not you. I'm going to say that again. Salvation is of the Lord, not you. See, when God made Adam and he made humanity, he made us with a capacity. I'm going to use a term that the Bible doesn't really use this phrase, but I think you'll understand what I mean. The Bible created, or God created Adam with something we call free will. He could make a choice. And he had the power to back up his choice. But may I say to you, when Adam sinned in the garden and he fell, do you know what happened to his will? It became bound by sin. The Bible says that we become slaves of sin. A slave doesn't get much of a choice, do they? (laughs) They either do what the master says or they get a beaten. that's what happened in the in olden days i understand it i don't agree with slavery but that's what happened but we become slaves of sin slaves of death we can think about something and saying i want to do this and what happens we do it every every year new year's don't we we make a new year's resolution anyone made one of those i'm gonna lose weight how many of you guys just no don't do that right. right okay right they say i'm gonna lose it and and but your intent is real week 1 Whew. week 2 Ooh. week 3 i ah, forget it <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with your ability to choose it has to do with your ability to enforce the choice that you've made all right now listen because of sin sin dwells here outside of Christ we have no strength we can want to do what's right. How many of you decide, I'm gonna do what's right. I'm gonna change my ways. And what happens? I will stop doing this and I'll start doing that and I'll change my ways. And we say, I'll turn over a new leaf, right? We turn the leaf over and we find out it's just as dirty on the other <laughs> side. And, and, but we find we don't change the way we wanna change. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 7. He says, what I will to do, I don't do well, what I will not to do that's what I keep on doing who's gonna deliver me from this body of death who can set me free from me see what happens is when Adam fell the affections of your heart changed the affections of your heart changed Jesus says it this way. Grab your Bibles, I hope you've got them open. We wanna look at a couple of verses here and then we're gonna go back to this one here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Because you have to understand the bondage, the problem that we have. So Jesus says in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there we go, John chapter three. And verse 19. And this is the condemnation that men that light has come into the world, and men loved what? Rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil, what? Hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Now let's just stop there for a minute. The affections of man's heart naturally, it says, Jesus says this, they love darkness, and they hate light. So it's not just I'm stuck in darkness. It's not just I have a problem with darkness. The affection of the heart is I love darkness. See, there's, I, I mentioned last week about people presenting the gospel like a cage. If you remember the story we told, it's like a cage, and the birdies are in there, and they're trapped, and, 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 and the cage is darkness in there, and, and, and the guy opens up the door, and the birdies fly away, but the birdies don't fly away. Why? Because men love darkness. In fact, it says they refuse to come to the light. So you can have freedom presented to you. No thanks. Because of what we love. See, in 1 John chapter 1, it says God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. He said, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Now we've got a major problem because if God is light and there's no darkness in him, that my natural state because of the sin that dwells in me outside, outside of Christ, it's here. And so I've got this problem now where I love everything that God isn't and I hate naturally everything that God is. Can I say that? You're stuck. I could sit here and stand here and preach till I'm blue in the face. Won't do anything. You could sit there and agree. You could sit there and go, yep, that's the truth. Good point. And never change. Do you know how frightening that is? I mean, think about it. The, the guy who wrote um. Amazing grace, John Newton, he he had been a slave trader. He worked on slave trading ships. He saw people die at his own hand. He he writes a song after coming to faith in Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But he goes on to say, grace has taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fear is relieved. How could grace teach your heart to fear? See, the Bible says that we're saved by grace. So I need grace to be what? I'm not, it's, I'm not trying to make it complicated. I want to keep it can be very simple because the reality of this, if, if it hits home, it'll change the way you understand what God does for someone who, who, is, who belongs to him and comes to him. And if I need grace and its unmerited favor and the power of God in my life to save me, what do I do to get it? It's unmerited favor, I can't earn it. If you can't earn it, how do I get it? I don't deserve it. If I don't have it, I perish. Or let this sink in, help us. I need it, otherwise I'm going to hell for my own behavior, for my own choices, for my own loves. I'm headed to a lost eternity and grace is there. How do I get it? I don't deserve it, and in fact, I deserve the opposite. I don't deserve it. I, I can't earn it. What do you do to get it? See, if that begins to sink in, please hear me. Fear will take hold of your heart because you realize, without it, I'm lost. Without his intervention in my life, I'm lost. You say, well, what if I ask him to do it? All right, why should he listen to you? On what grounds? I'm a good person. Doesn't work. No one's good. No, not one. There's none righteous. Not one. Well, what, what do I do then? What can you do? <laughs> Maybe we just end tonight and let you handle that all week. <laughs> let it sink in. What I want you to understand is in your natural state, you are powerless to change your own position. You can't change your heart. You've tried. You've tried to change your ways. It hasn't lasted. <coughs> then how do I? I need a new heart to get saved. I, I, need, I, need, I need a change in me to make me different. I, well, where do I get it? And I'll say this very clearly. If anyone thinks that that's not the degree of the problem that you're in, you don't understand your own lostness. There is none righteous, not one. In fact, go to Romans chapter three. Let me just read a couple of verses just to kind of clench this. I put the nail in and we'll hammer it around on the other side just to make sure there's no, no confusion in this regard. So in Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, he quotes these things. And this is from the Old Testament. He's quoting, as it is written, there is none, what? How many? Okay, so outside of Christ, are you righteous? Okay. There is none who understands. They don't get it. That's the lostness. That's how bad we are. We're so lost that we don't even know we're lost. There is none who what? How many? Really? No one seeks God? Well, they love darkness. Why should they? If God is light, then naturally nobody seeks God. So you know all the people who talk about seeking God and trying to find religion and all that, you know what they're doing? They're either not seeking God or they're liars. I believe God. I believe his word is true. Mm -hmm. I believe it's true above every opinion of human beings. Let God be true, every man a liar. Yeah. But see, you have to understand and take that God at his word to such a degree that you'll choose God's side over yours that you'll choose God's side over your own opinion. Because you can say, well, I think, and God says this, whose side are you gonna choose? (laughs) Because I guarantee you, there will be times you will read the word of God and you'll see in the word and God says one thing and you're like, I want this. Whose side are you gonna choose? You have to, if you're a follower of Jesus, come to the place where you're like, Jesus, Jesus, I'm choosing your way. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross, and I will follow you and go your direction. Yeah. You have to choose. <laughs> Please hear me. You have to choose God. Um, um, you have to side with him against you. <laughs> if you don't, you will perish. It's really quiet in here. <laughs> I want you to understand that when someone comes to faith, it's not because they thought it was a good idea. In fact, it didn't originate with them. Jesus said, I came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Who came to do the seeking? He did. Who came to do the saving? He did. Salvation is of the Lord, it's not of man. It's not my ability, it's not my power, it's not yours. We are at complete, the complete mercy of someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Lord help us in this. Do you know how hard it is to get saved? Jesus was talking to the disciples and in, in Mark, in, um, I'd have to look it up. I'm, I'm, I just, it just came back to mind. And he goes, maybe some of you can look it up. He says, "Well, who then can be saved? You can look it up for yourself, Google it or whatever you gotta do. Um, and it's in, it's in Mark. And, and he's asked the question, who can be saved? Jesus responds with men, it is impossible. Yeah. It's not hard. It's impossible for men to be saved on their own. There's nothing we have to bring to the table. What can you offer God? God, if you save me, I'll give you what? Money? Think that'll work? Can you buy your salvation? No. Um, Promises? You haven't kept the ones you've made already. Well, what can you offer God? What do you have? You say, well, offer myself. You're a tainted person, sinful, rebellious, with a darkened heart at the core. Why would God want that? Every sacrifice in the Old Testament had to be pure, it had to be holy, it had to be without blemish. You say, well, I'll offer myself. No, you're blemished, we all are. So what do you have to offer him? I want you to understand how lost we were. Before Christ, you were without hope. And without God in the world. You are without Christ. You say, well, I was raised in a Christian home. You are still without Christ and without God in the world. Lord, help us. I'm going to finish reading this. I'm going to take another passage. Just to, Who then can be saved? Jesus said, Jesus answered. With men, next verse. But Jesus looked at them and said what? So, yeah, not with God, but with men? How hard is it? It's impossible. Whew, man, it's like you're putting salvation beyond our reach. How about this? It's beyond your reach. Grasp it, go ahead, try. Some of you have tried to be saved. <laughs> so some of you have, have you spent years, on trying to be a Christian, I'm trying to act like a good Christian. And, and acting like a good ch- Christian still makes you what? An actor. Yes, the word actor in, in the Greek means hypocrite. Yes. A play actor. I'm playing a game. I'm trying. I get on stage. I do my part. And I get off on someone else. Yeah. It's not the acting. I don't need to act like I need to be. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be. Well, how do you do it? Can you change your... Skin color? So you can't say that, the Bible does. Can the man change his, can the leopard change his spots? It says can an Ethiopian change his skin color? No. So how does a man change his heart? How can that be shifted? No one seeks God, no, not, not one. Their throat is an empty tomb. With their tongue, they they, they have practiced deceit. They practice it, not just did it. The poison of asps, asp is a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. So, not only do they behave and have that attitude, they're okay with it. There's no sense where one day I'll actually stand before Him and I'll receive an account for all that I've done. Our guilt stacks up. It's not knowledge of spiritual things that makes us clean. You could know the whole Bible and still go to hell without jesus we're're lost, and we don't have that hope in 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 Ephesians chapter two the apostle Paul makes it really really clear with that he he says these words he says um." In verse 11 of chapter two, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that you, uh, at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. No hope and without God in the world that's 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 where we were outside of Christ if you're outside of Christ today that's where you're at how are you gonna change your position what are you going to do about your sin You, you need grace and how are you gonna get it and you'll perish and God is faithful He's good, and he's the judge of all men. And he will render to everyone, everyone, according to what they have done. Some of us, our our bill is really big. It may be bigger than others, but there's still a payment that needs to be made. The wages of sin is not just physical death, The Bible talks about the second death where eternal judgment is poured out in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't go there for a time and then get out for good behavior. It's eternal. An evangelist many years ago told his evangelist that he was training. He said, pray. That God would give you a vision of hell. (laughs) That you might save men from it. What will you do? What can you do? Let's go back to Corinthians now. I want you to understand that within your own person, within your own ability you don't have the power to change by yourself (laughs) please hear me what i'm not saying is this some of you might quit smoking good job and i mean that well done but you can't take away your sin some of you might stop i don't know taking drugs or turn over you know change your life and you can do that but you can't take away your sin or change your heart. <laughs> you, you might be a religious sinner, but you're still a... You might be a, a, you know, a, a philanthropist, <laughs> and give money away to lots of people, but without the heart change, you're still headed for a lost eternity. Remember, Paul was a religious guy. Very religious. He said, listen, when it came to the law, you couldn't find fault with my life but he was headed for a lost eternity. And if the righteous are scarcely saved, as Peter said, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If the best of us isn't good enough, what will the rest of us do? We're lost. And we love it. We're broken. We're okay with it. We're sinners, and there's no fear of God in our eyes. We're in trouble. But God. (laughs) See, even the gospel that comes, and someone could stand in the streets and proclaim, (laughs) someone could even be raised from the dead, people aren't interested. then what has to happen? Do you realize that every work of God, every work of God starts in heaven first? When God does something, he doesn't do it on the spur of the moment. <laughs> He's not like you and I, where we just kind of get in, um, Claire said, Pastor Claire said this morning, she had an epiphany, right, she used that word. She had, I've had an epiphany, she had this big idea, great idea, spur of the moment. God doesn't think that way. God knows everything from beginning to end. He knows it long before it happens. And if anything goes this way or that way, it's not an issue for him. He's not freaking out and going, what have they done? How do I fix this? I better come up with some way. He's never done that, ever. He's on the throne. He's sovereign. <laughs> He's God. Alone. He's the almighty. So the way of salvation has already been in his mind before the foundation of the world. These are big thoughts. (laughs) But God says in his word, he says, my thoughts about you are like the sand of the seashore. (laughs) You can't count them. And so his way of working... His way of salvation started before you ever existed in the flesh. But in the mind of God, he saw you. Oh, Lord, help us with this. See, the preaching of the gospel, verse 18, I want to... So, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, it says, The message of the cross is what? Foolishness to who? Pastor, I thought you said everyone's perishing. They are. So when the gospel comes to those that are perishing, what's our natural reaction? The actual word in there means moronic. You're a moron for saying that. He said that that the Jews look for signs. They want to see the power, right? And the Greeks, they look for wisdom. And we preach Christ, the God of heaven, crucified. Where's the miracle in that one? Where, where, where's, where's the wisdom of God in that one, from a worldly standpoint? think A dead God, how's he gonna help me? <laughs> he said, that's what we preach. See, you understand that in the first century, talking about crucifixion is like talking about pedophilia. Yeah. Polite society doesn't do it. If you were having a conversation, you wouldn't bring it, at, you're at a dinner party, you wouldn't bring up that issue. <laughs> talking about crucifixion in the first century was It was heinous, it was despised. Rome did it for their worst of criminals. (laughs) Rome Rome, Rome did it to to those to to cause as much shame as possible. They would be crucified naked, hung out there for the birds to peck. They would live sometimes for, for sometimes days as they would pull themselves up to breathe. To get them to stop and die, they'd break their legs so that they'd sink down and so they couldn't breathe anymore. Finally, they'd die. And they would just leave leave them up there. Nero would do that and then light them on fire. Christians especially light them on fire to light his his parties that he had. It was a shameful thing. And we're, we're preaching what? Christ crucified. Well, how would anyone get saved? Weakness and foolishness. That's what it looks like. But Christ is, for those who can see it, is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. So how can I see it if I can't see it? How can I get it if I can't get it? This is where the Spirit of God has to work in you first. Do you realize that if the Spirit of God didn't graciously kind of flip the switch on in your head, change something and adjust something in your heart, you'd look at the crucified Savior and go, eh, it's a nice piece of jewelry, but nothing else more than that. Without Him doing something for you first, you'd perish. You'd stare Him in the face and say, thanks, I like my darkness anyway. That's a fearful place to be. Jesus actually said to the Jews he was teaching in John uh, uh, chapter 6, I think it's verse 44, where where he says to them, he says, unless the Father draws you, you can't come to me. Yeah, there it is. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? What? Now the word can't, it means they don't have the power to do it. It doesn't mean he's not willing, <laughs> he says, you just don't have what it takes. You can't turn on yourself, you won't do it. Do You know what they teach you, if you've ever learned how to you know, do life saving for swimming and stuff like that and someone begins to drown? You know what they teach you to do? You have to wait until the person who's drowning has no more strength left. Otherwise, if you go to try to rescue them, they will drown you in the process of trying to save their own life. It's an innate thing in our hearts. Self-preservation is at the core of humanity. We would we'd choose ourselves over our kids. We say, no, I'd never do that. I'm telling you, in Israel, when they, had, they were being surrounded by an army, there was no food to eat. Women were agreeing with each other as to whose baby they'd eat first. He said, "Never do that. Wait. Yeah. Humanity can go so low. You, you think it doesn't happen? Women go today and have their babies killed within them out of convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me they won't have self-preservation at the core of every human heart outside of Christ. That's what we're like. We sacrifice our children for our convenience. We sacrifice." the discipline that they need, and the training that they need so that we can go out on a Friday night. Is this making sense? So our ability to, to, to change our own heart? Who can do such a thing? Without the Holy Spirit's initial work in you, you could stare God in the face, see the goodness of glory and of grace and not be interested. Call it foolishness. Verse 26, it says these words. For you see, brethren, your... What's that word? Verse 26 there. First Corinthians. For you see... For you see what? Your calling. Calling. The word calling means invitation, the calling that comes to your heart. Now, the Bible teaches us that when the gospel goes out, many are called, many. So if you've ever been out on the, on the, on the street preaching, how many people hear your message? And some of you, or you're in Mission 24, you'll get the chance to do it, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We go out and we proclaim. Some of you did the fire camp and you are out there and you're proclaiming on the streets and hundreds of people are walking by. The calling is going out. It goes out into all the world. Every day, the call of God comes out. Come home, come home, repent. Uh, uh, turn from your way. Don't keep running into a eternity. Turn and come home. The payment's been made. And, and people hear it and they go, oh. I remember one of my lectures when I was at Bible college told me what happened to him. He was out preaching. You know that word, that, that, the, that the gospel, that the word of the cross, foolishness to those that are perishing. He says it. He's out preaching in the street. And he says that, and, and his foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us, who are, to, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Some guy walks by and hears him preach it. And he, he thinks to himself, oh, that's foolishness. And his next thought was, that I must be perishing. Something changed in his heart that day. I've seen people come in atheists and leave children of God. I've seen it happen. I've seen it and you think, how that person, that's the last person I think that would really get changed. You're like, how does that happen? They thought that of me. See your calling, brethren? And sisters. (laughs) Not many of you are Wise. The word wisdom there, it has to do with an expert. So someone who's done the education, they got a PhD and whatever. Anyone have a PhD here? Well, Richard does. (laughs) My point is this, is that none of us are on the cutting edge of all that stuff. We don't have all of the understanding. We're not, not, you know, uh, uh, guys that that can sit around and talk about quantum mechanics or quantum physics, maybe, and we don't understand all the dynamics of time and space, and, but he says, God's called you, see, not many of you are wise. It's not that none are wise, but not many are wise. I'm glad for that, because that means I might be included not many, according to the flesh, not, not, not many are mighty. It means that those that are like both financially and, uh, and physically influenced, that they can bring influence into the situation. You know, so, some people, they walk in a room and they're like, they're buff. And they walk in and everyone goes, whoo. I don't, no offense, I'm not seeing many of those here tonight. And they think they've got the money so they can influence people. Not many mighty. (laughs) Not many noble. Do we have any royalty here tonight? In the flesh, that is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) any royalty in the flesh? No? Well, not many noble are called either. (laughs) You have to understand he's writing to Corinth and this was one bunch, a group of people there. If you, they, they were the Ibiza of the, of the Greek world, right? And this is where they hung. And the gospel had come to them. He says, listen, guys, it's not about your wisdom. It's not about your nobility. It's not about your strength. In, in fact, it goes on and three times it uses this word. Verse 27, but God has chosen he says it again later on in that verse, God has what? Chosen, and in verse 28 it says, God has chosen. You know, when, when, when you keep repeating something, it means something. God has, do you know if you're in Christ, do you know why you're there? <laughs> he chose you. See, the call went out, but then something switched on in your heart, and you're like, yeah, that's for me. Why you? Why not the person sitting next to you? It's a mystery. But you heard it. Many are called, but few are chosen, Jesus said. Wow, that's like deep stuff there. But you know, when you've come to faith, I want you to recognize you were so lost, there was nothing you could do. There was nothing that you had to bring to the table. There was nothing that you could change enough to get into the kingdom that it was God's own doing. He called you and he chose you. He selected you out individually to belong to him. That's what it says. That's not talking about callings, about ministry. That's talking about being saved. Yes. If God says, I want you, do you think you're strong enough and well to fight him? <laughs> you know, Paul the apostle thought he could do it. So God smacked him to the ground. blinding him for three days. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats, isn't it, Paul? He comes after you. Well, I've seen people fight. I've seen people run. i tell you something. It's not a fight you really want to win. You win that fight, you're lost. But God didn't choose you because you were mighty or great or rich or... In fact, the Bible says He chose you in your situation and your weakness and in your inability and... In and your, your, your foolishness, and your lostness, and he chose you so he could shame, and bring shame upon all those who think they've got it all together. Yeah. Well, God should choose me because, dude, you are so wrong. So that no flesh could glory in his presence. You know, when it comes time for standing in eternity, there's no one gonna be gone, dude, you know I'm here? You know what I did? Not one. There'll be no one standing up there boasting about, dude, I'm in heaven because I did. He did it for me. He did it for me. If He would have let me, I would have run to a lost eternity with all my might. But He stopped me in my tracks, and He stopped me from perishing. I couldn't have come to him any other way. But he did something to me, he did something in me. And he said, you, come here. You guys ever played sports when you were young? You are young, I don't know. You played sports and you gotta choose teams at school. Anyone ever do that? I don't know if they do that anymore. It's humiliating. Because the team, you got the two captains, right? I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. And who always gets choose first? Right? Oh you do. Wait, better be careful now. And so and, and and then it comes down to I was I was a short red-headed kid with freckles and a loud mouth. Then I was the last guy you wanted to choose. In fact, it usually went, Oh you can have him. No, 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 you can have him. No, 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 you can have him. And God says, wait. My team. Not because I'm mighty, not because I'm wise, not because I can do anything. You know, I, I've said this over and over again, I couldn't preach in front of people at all. Fred was standing up there and he was worried about how he was looking to everybody else. And it happens. And don't worry, you'll get the chance and when you fumble, you'll be like, oh. right. But what happens is this, is that I'm, Fred made me, <laughs> I'd make Fred look really good at what he did because I couldn't preach. I was asked to speak at a conference in front of 12 people, and I panicked, and I couldn't do it. And the one night where the Lord met with me, sitting on my living room floor, and he opened up the Garden of Gethsemane for me, and I could see Jesus pleading, saying, Father, I can't do this. Is there another way? And in that moment, God did something in me That gave me an ability to speak that I did not have. And to be able to stand in front of people and to preach and proclaim the gospel. He's wise. He's powerful. He has everything I stand in need of. And he can take the smallest of us. And in his power lift us up to the heights. Seated with him in heavenly places in Christ it wasn't because of all that you were it was in spite of what you were that he saved you he chose you he said i want you in my family please hear me that wasn't enough it wasn't enough why because the very thing that keeps you out in relationship with him that keeps you out of it had to be removed so jesus the very son of god god with skin on his face the fullness of god dwelt bodily the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Godhead dwelt bodily. It's him. He comes, and the Bible says here that he became for us, and it names uh, uh, these these four things. He says he's wisdom from God. It says that he's, he's righteousness from God. He's sanctification from God, and redemption from God. So it wasn't enough that in eternity, God says, I want that one to belong to me because he had to come and do the work that was necessary to make sure that when you come in, you really come in. (laughs) So that when whatever's blockage, whatever would stop you from staying in, from being in to being complete in him, he deals with every, every piece of it. So he changes your mindset and then you see the gospel is no longer foolishness really? He'll save me. That's amazing. I can see that he makes the payment. It makes sense that he bore my sin in his body on the tree. It makes sense. I'm telling you, you say, well, it makes sense to me. It's not because you're smart. Because spiritual things are only understood as the spirit of God reveals them to the human human heart. And, And it's not just knowledge, it becomes wisdom for you. See, knowledge tells you about something. Wisdom tells you what to do in the light of something. Does that make sense? See, some of us think, oh, I know what I should do, but you don't do it. You don't have wisdom. Wisdom is the part that says I know what to do and I know how to put it into action and I know where I'm going with it. So when wisdom comes to your heart in the light of the gospel, it's not just I can see Jesus is the son of God that he, he died and rose again. It's I can see that he is and I'm coming, Lord. Amen. In, in the beginning of Corinth, it says this, that he chose them and it says and they called upon him. So the calling went both ways. He, he called out with the gospel and we said, yeah, Lord, I'm here. And we responded to the gospel. He became for you wisdom. He became for you righteousness. See, I don't need just forgiveness to see him. I need righteousness. I need to be absolutely acceptable in his sight. So Jesus goes to the cross and pays for your sin. That's not enough. He has to give you the very goodness, the righteousness, all of his obedience. He has to give it to you as a gift. Otherwise you won't see him. Righteousness delivers from death. Not money, not your good works. Righteousness delivers from death. So the right standing of God, having obeyed him completely, and we haven't, so I need a righteousness that isn't mine. Jesus was absolutely obedient. So he does this exchange. I'll take your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. He became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So He gives us the same acceptance that He has before the Father. He gives it to you as a gift. Could you imagine going to pray and realizing I have absolute acceptance in this place. I can come in before the throne room and the Father's not asking me what are you doing here? I can come and ask anything in His name. (laughs) I can come boldly before the throne of grace and Receive grace and mercy in my time of need. In fact, I got a high priest there waiting, (laughs) interceding for me, helping me to even understand how to pray. He's become righteousness for you. He's become sanctification for you. That means to be separated unto God for God's sole use. He makes you holy. You know, like in the temple, they have certain things. Maybe you have certain things in your house you only use for company. Anyone have anything like that? No, some of you don't want to admit that you do, right? So you got the nice china. Or the, you know, I, I've been to some of your houses and you got the, the couch all covered in plastic and the kids aren't allowed, allowed in there. But when you come to visit, the, oh, the pastor can come in and sit down. You only use it at certain times because it's set aside for a special use. Maybe you've got ladies, you've got certain dresses or shoes or bags or whatever it is. You only use it for the special occasion. How about this? In Christ, He set you aside for Himself to use you for His own special purposes. Jesus became for you sanctification. He has a plan for you to work in you according to His good pleasure. Everything is about Him and He sets you aside for His sole use. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow knowing my purpose is divine because it's given to me from heaven. I tell you, you'd open your eyes. I need to come to an end here. Just before, I'd, I remember one day, I, was, I used to work at British Gas, a long time ago, part time that is, and I remember one day I was, I was going in and I was reading and read a verse in that morning, it talks about a man can plan his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's a really cool verse, I thought. I thought, wow, that's amazing. So I can plan my way, but you direct. I said, Lord, would you make me aware that you're directing my steps? And I remember I got off work that day, and usually I would catch the bus to come back. I was living in uh, Lanetton at the time, down in Lower Roundwood over there, and right next to the Flynn family over there. It's right across the way from there. And uh, and, and I, I remember I was, I was coming, and I was walking down the street, and I thought, well, I'm going to. I think I didn't walk well, down St. Mary's Street. I just, it was random, as far as I was concerned. Walking up, and there was Waterstones there, the bookstore, and I was looking in the window, and they had, I tells you how long ago, they had CD-ROMs in there, the discs, and I was like, ooh, those are pretty cool, computer stuff, I was interested. So I kind of wandered in, and I looked at it a little bit, and I was looking at some books, and all of a sudden, all over my shoulder, I hear this, <laughs> someone mentioned Christians, and my little antenna went up, bing! Christians. <laughs> um, christian preachers I'm like oh american christian preachers i'm thinking american missionary christian preachers i said i think that's my cue <laughs> i turned on i said uh, hi i said i'm one of those and for the next 20 minutes they're in waterstones i preached the gospel to about 20 30 people standing around listening i walked out of there going what just happened <laughs> and the lord reminded me and you're I directed your steps. We don't realize sometimes. You know those God moments that we run into? You know who's directing your steps? Why? Because he sanctified you. He set you aside for his sole use. And he became for you redemption. That's personal now. Because now it would cost him his blood to buy you out of the bondage you were in you were so lost and you were so deserving of condemnation. You were so deserving of the wrath of God to be poured on you. And I tell you, in the judgment, anyone who's about ready, they're not gonna go, wait, this isn't fair. The problem is they're gonna know it's absolutely fair and they have nothing to stand on in that moment. And Jesus steps in with his own blood, with his own life, and he dies the most horrific death, and he does it in your stead. He doesn't buy your life from Satan. That's weird. Under the wrath of God, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. The soul who sins must die. And so he gives his life as a ransom for you. He gives it under the justice of God. And so the hammer of God justice comes down on him so that his blood can be interposed for you. So he can purchase you and make you to belong to Him. You know, I find it amazing. You know, if you went to the store and paid for something, you walked out and you forgot it on the till. Would you say, "Ah, oh, no big deal"? What would you do? You paid for it. Would you just, "Oh, it's no big deal. I'll just leave it there"? That's weird thinking. Probably means you didn't. You either didn't. It wasn't your money you used to spend on it. Or you didn't value what you purchased very much. And Jesus the most valuable thing ever on the planet was poured out for you. There was nothing ever that was more valuable on this planet than the blood of Jesus. And he poured it out for you. Do you think if he purchases something, he won't come back and get it for himself? He bought you. And he has become for you redemption. So that you, he says, not only did I call you, not only did I choose you, I paid for you. You are mine. Someone who understands what God's done for them, how secure do they think you think they should feel knowing that they belong to Jesus? What can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ? Paul says there is nothing. Why? Because He chose me and He called me. He paid for me. He set me aside for His sole use. I'm His. He who began good work in you, He will complete And you know in the end, I'll finish. In the end, the glory goes to Him alone. By grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, so that no one can boast. Where his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Listen, saints, I want you to understand that outside of Christ, you are without hope. But because of God's own work in bringing you to himself, there's nothing that can separate you from him. You say, what if I'm disobedient? He's a good father, he knows how to discipline his kids. He will make sure that the work that he starts gets finished. Many are called, few are chosen. May the Lord help us to grasp these things and be gripped by them, that our soul becomes secure in him, and that we, When we speak, we do so with absolute confidence, knowing that he's the one that goes after people when we preach the gospel. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your love and mercy. Lord, I thank you that tonight you were the one that called us out. Lord, out of our darkness, out of our lostness, you called us out when there was no hope for us, Lord. And yet you didn't give up jesus i pray even tonight those watching online those here tonight the lord you will grab them with a strong arm and a strong hand lord if there's rebellion i pray in jesus name you'll discipline it out of them but lord that you who saves you who keeps you who draws us to yourself lord you would come and do that with a strong hand that lord you paid the price You paid for it in your own blood. Lord, your word says that you will see the travail of your soul and you will be satisfied. And I pray tonight, Lord, that even here tonight, with those that are here tonight, you would draw men and women and boys and girls, Lord, that they would would stop running and stop fighting and surrender to you and find life. Thank you for saving us. Thank you your mercy. Thank you for doing what we didn't deserve. Thank you, Jesus. We don't want to play with your salvation. It was your gift. So help us tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.